I guess it's time for me to take a quick seat on the ground here. Um, yep, uh, yeah, no, I am. I'm sitting on the floor of my room. Sorry this episode's getting out so late. I um, also did not mean to sound very Canadian when I, when I said sorry. It's, it's just not... Sometimes I do accents unintentionally, but here we go. <laughs> Welcome to the third episode of Culturally Buzzed, a podcast where we talk about anything and everything culture in relation to your health. My name is Sarah. I am writer, co-host, producer. Hopefully I'm doing a good job. If not, let me know. Seriously, it's like talking into the distance somewhere. The show so far has 17 plays. I think that's pretty cool. Anyway, <laughs> um, on a lighter note, I think I want to take a shout out to um, Chris for totally owning me in soundcheck. I uh, didn't know what I was doing, turns out, and I really, really, really needed somebody to look at my equipment to make sure that I was doing everything right, and it turns out that I was doing something fundamentally wrong, <laughs> and so he fixed everything, and so hopefully I'm sounding a little bit better, hopefully there's doesn't sound very loud in one place and then very um, <clears throat> hushed in another, <laughs> and uh, oh, another podcast maintenance thing. I had to take down the episode about gender. I don't know if you've heard it yet. If you haven't, let me know. Again, like, shout out to anybody out there who's listening. (laughs) I actually don't really know if there's more than two people listening. But anyway, um, the last episode had a bunch of songs that I did not uh, think they would mind being used, and um, the fact of the matter is I, I did a, double, a quick double check, which was really good, and uh, it turns out that there's some heavy copyright law issues with not getting permission to play another person's creation into a project that you are also creating. This world is crazy, and it's great, and it's beautiful, and um, sometimes the fact of the matter is I'm going to have to take down... <laughs> I took down the first episode or uh, to redo it. Uh, I took down the second episode because it wasn't loud enough. The third episode I had to take down because of the copyright issue. So, yeah, this has been a bumpy ride, but I'm so glad you guys are here. <laughs> I don't know if I should probably mention this. I think it's probably going to get cut out or something. But anyway, okay, listen, I'm going to start over. <laughs> I'm going to start the hell over. I got this. got this. You got this, Sarah. You got this. Welcome to Culturally Buzzed, a podcast where we talk about everything and anything culture in relation to your health. Have I convinced you yet? <laughs> My name is Sarah, and we are going to be talking about something super important today. I think that the big issue around it is that the more that I try not to focus in on it, the more it shows up in my writing. And I can't talk about this topic and move on to other topics that I really want to talk about because it seems like what I cover in this episode will actually be something that you see throughout many of these episodes. Because what I'm finding out when I'm studying culture and, and looking into the consideration of our habits and how we react and stuff like that, this topic specifically on its own covers such a majority of what we do and how we act, and how we view the world, and it just, it covers the majority of basic human behavior right now, in today's world. I don't know if you're going to be listening in 2050, but hello, 2050, but I'm talking about in 2020. Um, it's going to be an expensive, it's going to be an expensive podcast because you will need to invest a little bit of your time into this one. Um, I'm not charging you, I promise. I probably shouldn't have used the word expensive, but the fact of the matter is this episode isn't going to make sense unless you play it over a couple of times, because I'm going to be giving out a lot of information that I feel is very subtly connected, as well as directly connected. There's just nuances about this topic specifically that... (laughs) Did you guys hear me in the background about this topic specifically? (laughs) That needs to be addressed. 
And like I said, it will come up again in future episodes, especially the next two. Especially the next three. I'm just going to stop counting after three, especially the next three. And, um, but for now, again, let's try to focus in on how this topic relates to you personally, because it's, again, such an important, it's important, and you encounter it every single day in some degree, in some form, if you live in America and go outside or watch TV or even cook. All of this has a lot to do with our culture. So um, without further ado, <laughs> the episode of this title of this episode, sorry about that, uh, is called Once Again with Feeling because I want people to understand that we are not going to give up. Clearly as a culture, as a progressive, as a progressed modern society, we're going to continue to pass on information to our children, and their children will pass on more information. And every generation, there's more information to be had. And this, it's just important that when we talk about the idea of starting over from the beginning or starting on the right side of things, you will have to also understand that doesn't necessarily happen overnight but that if we don't nec- if we don't also stop what's going on or move the conver- converser- <laughs> concert <laughs> conversation forward <laughs> I'm sorry I stutter sometimes um, as long as we move as long as we don't move the conversation forward the mistakes will be repetitive and I'm sure you guys have heard how history repeats itself and the fact of the matter is it does even though there's different people different cultural values different points of view in every kind of biggest historical thing we have a reoccurring pattern of behaving the same way as human beings as a whole so like i said (laughs) this topic is something i can't skirt around any longer i really didn't want to talk about this but then I heard another podcast, and I'm not going to say the name, but I heard another podcast, and they were talking about, obviously, the two women were of, um, of different skin color. They considered themselves not necessarily Caucasian, and it was a show about, you know, my, it was kind of like a show about, like, understanding the minority point of view without being so, in a sense, I don't know, without being so invasive about it. But anyway, the fact of the matter is the speaker on that sh- on that particular episode I heard s- uh, said that she was really tired of talking about race to others. And she was really, she just didn't want to have this conversation anymore. And I get that. I understand that race is such a big, somewhat draining if you don't, if you can't necessarily see your head around it. Race is a heavy topic, and it will continue to be a heavy topic. And but the fact of the matter is, I the fact of the matter is, I can't ask for other people to speak out, and you know, not get tired. That's just the thing. Like the warriors, the soldiers, the people who are out there who are fighting this fight right now about racism are gonna get tired, and racism will continue to live past generations and generations and we'll continue to piss <laughs> to piss yeah no seriously we'll continue to piss on humanity <laughs> it'll continue to always exist and people are going to get tired and i'm sure that's what happened before where at the beginning at, at the, the start of racism in america people were first unaware of how bad it was and then they started to become aware of how tired they were about how bad it was. And then they just turned a blind eye and nothing happened. And that's why I feel like the majority of these protests, these, you know, just marches, like painting on to the sidewalk, Black Lives Matter, all of those things are finally starting to seep through mainstream and actually become something bigger. And it's reaching people who probably wouldn't think twice about how tired they are of this situation and would just take it in and then 
consider it reality and not question it. When you start to see people protesting or fighting or completely questioning on such a global scale the idea of one specific topic, you know that that topic is, so, is now becoming more important again. And people can feel tired. The people who have been fighting this entire time can feel tired. But it's, now for the, it's time now for the people who haven't spoken up yet to start doing it. And so I'm holding myself accountable. This is something that, again, no matter how many times I'm, no matter how many times I shake it off specifically, I still find it really important for future generations to believe something different than the generation I'm in now about race. I want this to be such a moved forward conversation that we find solutions. Probably a little too much for this podcast right now. It should only be hopefully half an hour long. But the fact of the matter is that's kind of the main intention for this episode. It's meant to be reflective, informative. You can listen to it as many times as possible. I'm telling you that you probably will need to in order to truly kind of understand everything that I'm going to be going through. Um, And this is mostly because we live in a distracted world, mostly because I'm very familiar with all of what's going on in a sense, in the context of this sort of in the context of this sort of like podcast. So I can probably say things very nonchalantly that are super important to understand and it could be kind of just skipped over. So, um, and I'll try not to do that, but I think sometimes, you know, when you're reading something that you've seen multiple times before, you kind of like, it's shorter, it's less words, but you understand more of the meaning. So, but again, okay, I'm gonna, we're gonna keep it simple. We're gonna start off with the very basic how how culture and racism have been become ingrained we're going to start with that so this will probably be will take into consideration the jump from europe to america um i'm not so much a history major but again this is all kind of information that you guys have heard before and hopefully now you can connect it on a on a kind of a deeper level to what's happening in today's society all right so i'm going to i'm going to grab my notes it's going to be good I think it's important to understand that when the colonists found America and when they declared independence, they didn't want to adopt a new way of thinking. They decided to perfect the conventions of what they already knew. It is within Europe's history to have practiced coining what makes someone truly European. European society was very much molded by the Greek and Roman ideology of civilized culture. The Greeks and the Romans truly believed that certain characteristics were of greater or lesser value. This was in order to establish culture and organize a state. Origins of slavery in the Americas is older than America itself. The Declaration of Independence was created in order to announce leaving England's role, as the colonists felt like it was becoming tyrannical. (laughs) I should probably drink some water. As the government, not as our government, as the colonists found that Europe Europe's rule was too demanding. They were in this new place, this new land of treasure and possible gold and silver and this just this new opportunity to start an empire, to start something amazing. It's kind of look it's kind of like looking at a fresh sheet of paper and saying that there could be anything on there. And all now we have to do is just draw. So it was probably more of the purest intentions that America evolved from. Um, So Europe's rule gave the colonies directions like not advancing past the Appalachian Mountains. There were other rules like higher taxes. Uh, It was getting more expensive to get food from Europe or to exchange resources with Europe. There was just, the situation had become such so strained for the 13 colonies to continue being uh to continue being under europe's rule across the sea because if this was if they were any closer i think that europe in general wouldn't have lost our wouldn't have lost our role and we would all be part of the european nation but it's 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 a long story especially because of the distance and stuff like that but okay i, I digress i digress 
All right, so um, declaring independence from Europe meant owning land, making more money, and gaining unalienable but vulnerable rights. Um, At this point, America was a huge piece of land that needed to be manned. When indentured servants, who usually were white, fulfilled their services, fulfilled their um, sentence, and were set free, they would demand these un alienable rights too. Uh, This meant that there was more competition for land and resources, which the original colonists very much didn't want. This also meant that the colonists needed to have labor that didn't threaten their land or power. So naturally, they tried to dehumanize people among them that looked different. Physical differences like hair texture or skin color were used to differentiate people in power from the labor. That way, resources were controlled and rights to land weren't compromised. But the Irish had already reached a point in their revolution where they were no longer suitable for slavery. The Native Americans knew the land better than the colonists and could escape and find others. They also knew different languages, which was also a huge advantage because they could speak to each other without the colonists necessarily understanding what's going on. So it it kind of gave them a bit of a, like, it was a status that helped them be more cohesive among, uh, cohesive against the colonists. So it created such a bigger kind of, bigger wall between them, Um, which is probably also why there was such a huge, aggressive retaliation, but we'll talk about that at another time. Um, So the only way to create a labor force that wouldn't revolt would have been to find a group of people that did not know the American language at the time, were uneducated about American land, looked vastly different from the colonists so that they can be more recognizable in everyday interactions. And these three things are why African Americans were not easy to colonize but were successfully colonized. That was when Africans were enslaved and successfully kept under the rule for at least a century. Slavery was also the first documented system where there was a hierarchy in place, completely dictating that a certain subset of people were held to a higher standard and another subset of people were considered property. Because before then, all the documentation about, um, all the documentation that they would use amongst each other would indicate that they are of equal status and there's no one lesser or there's no one more. And as soon as there was this idea that they needed a different labor force that would essentially be blanketed from their rights was to pick a group that was so vastly different than them so that it was easier to spot them in public. It was easier to direct your attention to people who you think would be criminals or people who you would think would, would fit the stereotype of being abusive or aggressive, all of these different things. All of these different things were easy to instill in our society because they belonged to physical characteristics that somebody couldn't change about themselves. And that's why racism at the start was such a, was such a defying moment for human beings. It flipped a switch. It allowed us in every way, shape, or form to create this society that had categories for everybody. But anyway, we'll get to that later. So the, <laughs> so the colonists escaped tyrannical power only to find out that they couldn't take care of their land all on their own and then continue to establish a system where they can keep all the power and land while still benefiting from property that wasn't ever actually property of their own. So maybe the mental health of these colonists should have been questioned right away. In order to understand how racism exists today, we have to establish the logic of the historical events. So number one, colonists wanted to explore and reap the rewards of America. Europe wouldn't let them. So that's why they decided to become independent from Europe. They got So number two, they got rid of their basic boss and established unalienable rights among their quote-unquote equals. Number three, they freaked out a little. They had too much land, not enough money to pay for labor. They needed free, cheap labor, or actually just free labor in general. 
I don't even think there was a system where they wanted to pay people because they were probably very, um, were probably very in tune with the indentured servitude that happened from Europe. It was just different because they didn't want, they didn't have land to give away. They didn't want to give away all of these resources. So instead of saying that you were in, instead of like bringing people in that would, you know, in a sense, serve their purpose, serve their time, and then be granted land, they brought people in that would serve their purpose, serve as long as they lived, and then was were not able to be people who ever owned property, who ever had family, who ever understood their ancestral background, every, like that in general. They targeted African Americans in such a deep and profound way that till this day, we see the residual effects in our society. I just can't, I can't preface this enough that when you, when you essentially take away an identity of somebody and then give them the narrative of something else that they should be, it influences their perception of who they are. It influences, influences their perception of the people they belong to, of the family they would consider family, influences their perception of friends, it influences perception of their parents, their neighbors, their everybody. It, it's literally like taking away somebody's personality and putting in a new one. That's how much of a brainwashing thing it is. So, um... So, they decided to go overseas to find labor... Because the Native Americans, for example, were not necessarily best fit to be enslaved. Um, as no one was really best fit. No one was really deserving of, be of being enslaved in the first place. Let me just say that, too. Okay, and so number five. They brought people back only to dehumanize, abuse, misuse, and constantly degrade because they wanted to be better than Europe and couldn't actually afford the labor. Yep. Very clearly, we're not in this world anymore. We're already kind of in this place of America has been around for a very long time. We have the ability to go get food. Hopefully, most of our society has the ability to have running water and shelter. So, you know, very clear. And also very clearly, there's now paid labor. So why is it that racism is still ingrained in our society today? So, our needs as we progressed changed, but our culture didn't. That's why racism is still around today. A lot of what perpetuated the dehumanization of African Americans was that they were the topic of research as being less than. Everything about their intelligence was questioned. This is what I'm talking about. about this is what I'm talking about when I say that they were stripped of their identity and then given a new one. Is that they kept them very uneducated. But they also did research about how uneducated they are. It was kind of this like full circle, a way to prove by keeping people oppressed and away from the truth, how to prove that you are better than that. So we had an entire race of people, an entire race of people also to an extent mentally, mentally enslaving as well as physically enslaving these people. That's how deep racism goes. Their intelligence was questioned from the beginning. Very literally, numerous literary resources referred to African Americans as Negroes. And that word was closely related to being uneducated, lesser than human, having a smaller brain. They would literally... They would literally measure the skulls of African Americans, of Native Americans, of Caucasians, and they would just compare the sizes. And the bigger the skull meant that smarter that you were. They were all human. Measuring that kind of thing 
probably didn't give them great results, probably didn't give them a realistic point of intelligence because now we know that you can physically look like something, but your intelligence could be amazing or poor or you don't have to actually be very intelligent at all to survive. So it just doesn't necessarily make sense in any way, shape, or form that they... Actually, it does make sense. It does make sense that people were able to be sold on this idea because, number one, it supports this kind of idea of an in-group versus an out-group, where you were essentially the group that you were a part of, and I will probably bring this up again, essentially the group that you were a part of makes you feel close to your self-identity or helps you explain your self-identity to you. And part of part of the idea of justifying all of this, justifying the idea that we need to bring people in, we're not that we're not going to be giving a livable wage, we're not going to be feeding them, and we're going to give them the bare min minimum basic shelter. They're not allowed to have family, they're not allowed to have friends, they're not allowed to speak their native language, they're not allowed to get sick because if they get sick they can get killed all of those different things i i don't know how to paint a picture here as heavy as that one so i hope you guys are catching on um there was no research about african americans being part of the human race the research considered them an inferior race so this is, there are two big reasons based on the background of the U.S. and coming into the idea of justifying slavery. The, the backtrack or the residual effects that essentially were, that essentially were created at that specific moment, we are still feeling today. And I don't, I don't think you know how powerful that is. It's kind of like how your mom and your dad needed to go through everything they needed to go through, or actually whoever, your parent, Whoever your parent is, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to gender your parents. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Whoever your parents were had to go through their lives and get to that same exact moment of meeting so that they can have you. Right? That's how completely, completely ingrained timing is when it comes to humanity. Timing is so important. And the fact that the colonists needed manpower not only to man their land specifically, but they needed the manpower to look bigger to Europe so that Europe wouldn't try to attack or create some sort of hostility. And so a big part of elevating their status was to show to the other world that they could enslave an entire race. So there are two big reasons why racism is still around today. Ooh, thank God I took that sip of water. The first is that America's rights were founded on the idea of othering. The other is someone who is perceived by a group as not belonging due to a fundamental attribute. The group sees, sees itself as the norm and judges those who do not meet the norm. Therefore, people who are othered are seen as less than or inferior and can be treated accordingly. Othering occurs today when we consider Democrats or Republicans, man or woman, young or old, those who support pineapple on pizza or those who don't. And at the very most, white or non-white, minority or, major or majority. And the second biggest reason why racism still exists today is because we also consider ourselves as the other. And I, I know this seems like a weird concept. But as we find belonging, we tend to pull our self-identity from the groups we belong to. This also means that we are constantly judging our ability to be part of our own in-group. There is an interpersonal battle that we all go through in order to decide how to fit in which means that we are more likely to selectively control who we socialize with, how we socialize with them, who we start to see as family, who we can call family, who we like, who we dislike. The list goes on and on. 
Because we pull our self-identity, self-esteem, a sense of belonging from our social connections, we are more likely to behave discriminately towards people we feel are part of the outgroups. And you would think it was the opposite. You would think that when we all know that it's hard to fit in in the first place, that we would all take a step back and stop judging each other. But for some reason, we do the complete opposite. We say it, it's hard to belong, so I'm going to make it hard to be accepted. It's I'm going to make it more difficult to see the world without my own judgment in it. Peer pressure, for example, is a way for groups to reinforce their boundaries and assimilate people to behave a certain way. So people are also tempted, even though they feel differently, to do the right thing in order to continue fitting in. We call this kind of like a social dissonance sort of thing. I'm sure you've heard it. It's kind of a, it's a psychological term that, and I'm paraphrasing here, that explains when somebody is physically not okay or physically, maybe in a sense, enduring trauma from what's happening around them. And so they disconnect from what they have already perceived to be part of their world and they see the world a little bit differently. And sometimes this type of social dis dissonance could, you know, feed into resilience. Sometimes this type of social dissonance will kind of lift the veil and get people to see the world at a different point of view that makes them also feel like they're not threatened. Right? But then also social dissonance can be an attack on the ego. So if we all just want to get along, wouldn't it be a logical thing to do, as in stop dividing ourselves? Maybe we can just kind of like not judge each other because we all need to fit in. <laughs> but anyway, having a race to identify with isn't wrong. It's when we consider our own racial group superior to others that we've gone into racist territory. So here's the question that you ha all have been waiting to ask. Is there a superior race? All right, this is, we're going to get into the science of this. Whatever you consider dogs raced is to be, that's the superior race. No, I'm totally joking. <laughs> Human beings don't deserve dogs. I'm just, they're really great. They're angels and we are just not, oh man, oh man. All right, I'll, I'll talk about that. Well, we probably won't talk about this later. I'm just going to skip on over. Okay, so all joking aside, there's actually no scientific proof that there are races within human race. Science always comes to the rescue to level out the playing field, and that's why I love it so damn much. 99.9% .9 of our DNA is shared with each other. That's right, 99.9% .9 of our DNA. That, classifi that classifies us as a human race with no subdivisions because there's no difference in our DNA that's substantial enough to qualify as a different race. So there's no genetic trademark for African Americans, Asians, Europeans, Australians. What up, Australia? There was an original concept, although, that proposed five different racial lineages, African, Asian, European, Native American, and Oceanic. Sorry, Australia. Okay. But in 2003, in the Human Genome Project helped conclude that humans from all different ethnicities and different geographical locations had comparable DNA and there was no genetic indicator that belonged to one race over the other. That's right. You guessed it. We are all different versions of the same thing. Yeah. And genetics can really back me up on this. We can all look different because genetic variation is the norm. It's not the exception. Skin color is dictated by groups of genes that are within our DNA, and the genes have different nucleotide sequences that cause them to be slightly different. So sometimes that might explain why there's a variety of different skin tones. Still though, there's no genetic variation that directly controls dark skin or light skin. And furthermore, people with lighter skin can have the gene for darker skin within their DNA. Just like people with darker skin can also have the gene known to cause light skin. In fact, one study 
Among the Many in 2017 by, by Sarah Tishkoff at the University of Pennsylvania found that with a group of, of 1,600 Africans of different genetically diverse locations, the gene SLC24A5, partly responsible for light skin in European and Southern Asian human populations, was present within the DNA of these Africans. And it is said that it's existed more than 30,000 years ago. They also discovered three other genes responsible for skin color as well. So simply put, when you mute some of these, not necessarily mute, but, but essentially, ugh, okay, all right, side note, we're going to get into genetics for one second. So in order for us to develop or us to, I guess, in a sense, grow, what we need to do is create more protein. I know it sounds really weird, but just stay with me here. And in order to create protein, we need directions to create protein. Our body's really cool at doing that, getting back to the directions in order to further development. So remember that. When we... Okay, so when a gene is amplified, that means that it's creating more protein. That also means sometimes that there are other genes that are being muted or that are being stopped from being read so that they don't make those type of proteins. And so if, if you recall, there, there are at least, at least a group of genes that are responsible for skin color. So amplifying and muting some of these genes in, tan, in tandem, kind of like a really cool endless infinite probability because there's five genes or maybe more than that, in tandem, they're all working together to create your skin color. But the skin color that you are expressing does not necessarily mean that that's the only gene in play. So it's important to understand that even though you see a darker skinned person, that their DNA has the ability to, has the ability to shield the gene that creates light skin. But that gene is still there. And I know it sounds a little weird, but if you even wanted to go further into the idea of classifying people that way, well, first you can't. And I'm, I'm just, I have to preface this because I feel like somebody's going to listen to this and think that's the aha moment of being able to discriminate against each other. And the fact of the matter is, we also see that people who migrate have a difference in skin color. We also see people who are two different skin tones creating, you know, offspring that are part of that skin tone or in the middle or a moderate version of the two or a completely different skin tone in general. And we see examples like this all the time of twins being born with Caucasian, I guess, features, phenotypic features and African-American phenotypic features. So just... I think it's just always important to understand heredity and how that's involved, how you get the genetic information passed down to you. Um, and that starts off with half the DNA from your parent and half the DNA from the other parent. Ha! I didn't say mother or father this time. That's right. Um, and when, and so, when you develop, for example, there's this thing called genetic crossover where genes essentially, different parts of the genes on the chromosomes that you have. Chromosomes are the basis of probably just made out of DNA, but they're all condensed DNA. So it's like really, really tight DNA. Um, and during development, this DNA is essentially analyzed by some really cool mechanisms. And you start to see that these legs of these chromosomes kind of start to cross over. And they produce genetic, inf they, I guess in a sense, give genetic information to each other. It's usually, crossing is usually one way, but let's just, as remedial as possible, they give this genetic information to each other. And then that ends up resulting in more genetic variation just naturally. You know, you don't have to take a pill for this to happen. You don't have to um, be born at a specific time. This happens naturally. 
in general all the time. So the probability of even being able to produce, you know, a human race with different looking features, that's within our DNA. It's completely normal. It's not the exception. It's completely normal to look different because our DNA allows us to be different. Okay, so let's get back to the point. Simply muting and activating a combination of these different genes in tandem control skin color to an extent. Because humans cannot maintain their health without adequate enough sunlight, it is important to be able to adapt to your surroundings. So there are in lighter skin, no, okay, let's start over. So lighter skin in areas of scarce light helps make synthesis of vitamin D easier. And darker skin can help shield damage from sunlight that is harming. Let's not forget that evidence also concludes that the first humans to exist were in Africa two million years ago. That supports the idea that there is no genetic trademark for skin color, but it but it, but also explains. Sorry. This supports the idea that there is no genetic trademark for skin color because it also explains why all over the globe the same genes that did, that dictate light skin and dark skin are found in every human. In order to survive Africa, in order to survive Africa, we needed to be able to have darker skin conditions so that there weren't any alterations to our DNA. It actually helped preserve our ability to further evolve. I just want you to know that. The darker skin, because it could have very easily been... Okay, oh, sorry, I'm yelling. Okay, oh, I got scared there. <laughs> so at the very start of our evolution, is at the very start, early humans or early, early species that resulted in us being human had to have darker skin in order to shield themselves from and in order to shield themselves from the sun to preserve DNA. That was 100% the biggest thing that helped us survive. Just right away. Especially when there wasn't already or maybe maybe there might have been. Especially when there could or could not have been. The idea of these little proteins called DDB1, I think, that help repair your DNA as it gets damaged from the sun. Now, if you think about it, if early humans have just started to evolve, would there have been enough time for that mechanism to exist? So... Being darker skinned first actually probably may have saved us and allowed us to be here. But anyway, um, this also helps conclude that the occurrence of lighter skin in people belonging to different geographical locations is possible because our genetic makeup is derived from the same lineage. So somehow in Asia, so someone somehow in Asia can have their DNA be more genetically similar to someone born in Brazil than their own parents. So that's how cool genetics is as well. And that's how completely inter interrelated we are when it comes to our existence. It, when, you, when you try to, in a sense, judge someone based on the color of their skin or what they can't change, you're really teaching them that they don't belong. And that was at the beginning of our history in America. That, that's exactly what happened. An entire race. Actually, we probably shouldn't even use the word race anymore. An entire, an entire group of people who were discriminated against, who were categorized be just because they had similar features. were able to be degraded and subservient to people who they could have very well, on a genetic basis, been compared to. Very comparable. That's also the thing that blows my mind. 
Like we were, we're all made of the same thing. We're all made of the same stuff. And yes, we've come out a little bit different each time. But what in the hell makes that okay in order to teach people that they don't belong? Because I know that there are some people who are listening to this right now and are getting so angry. And they're going to want to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to discredit her in every way, shape, and form. I'm going to make sure that this argument doesn't see the light of day ever, ever again. And to all that, I say, you can do it. You don't have to. You're not going to get to me. And you're not going to get to the listeners. There's no evidence. I'm going to say it once. I will say it forever. There's no evidence of other races within the human race. We need to drop those walls. We need to stop thinking that other people are the reason why things need to get done or things aren't getting done. We need to start we need to start breaking in those all those rules that we heard from in our childhood. That there's there was this idea of somebody being dangerous because they were a little bit darker skinned, so you weren't allowed to socialize with them. And I'm not just talking about in the olden days with the white picket fence and every house had a black and white TV and cable was barely ever just starting up. Nobody had discovered the internet yet. Like, this is... This was coming from a place of very little knowledge. Racism was coming from a place of very little knowledge. The fact that it's still around today means that we have not, we have not gotten the courage yet to admit that we were wrong. We were wrong for turning to somebody else to say, hey, you don't belong here. Because the fact of the matter is, they belong everywhere. And so do you. So do you. And that doesn't take away from what they can get in their quality of life. That doesn't take away anything from your quality of life. We have to stop fighting that theory. Constantly, because that's what the forefathers thought. That's what the colonists thought. On the little information that they had about the human race, they thought that they just couldn't give away land and power to a group they didn't relate to. They thought in some way, shape, and form, if that was the first step, if you can possibly come together as a consensus, because we're always right about things, if you can possibly come together with all the leaders and say, yeah, you know what, we really don't think it's right because of this. Literally, all the people, people in power socialized and decided to change each other's minds about things, but they didn't change it in a way that was advantageous for society as a whole. They changed it in a way that was advantageous for them. And that's why it's so important to have representation in the highest forms of office. That's why it's, it's so great to have continuous, continuous efforts getting in touch with our political parties from every single diverse person possible. Because the fact of the matter is, those people, these minorities now, were not represented when the Constitution was being formed. And if the people in power were able to write this out, they also have realized and they also assume the ability to only grant certain privileges to others. And that's why racism is still around today. I feel like I've gotten off topic here, but it's just, it's really important to know it's, I feel like I'm saying it's just, it's just a lot. Hopefully I can, hopefully I remember to delete some of those. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean to sound like Anne Rice. 
Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> I think we have to start holding people accountable in a different way. We can't keep thinking that the more that this is pushed under the rug, the more that we wait this out to become a bigger problem later, only to blow over, the more we underestimate other people's pain in the position that they're in, the more we're going to decide that it's not an empathetic position to be human. And I cannot understand how we've veered away so much from the truth. I know I'm on a little soapbox here, but just hear me out. We all need the same thing. Food, water, and shelter. At the very basic level, that's who we are. We are people dependent on the safety of our surroundings. We are people dependent on understanding the safety of our community. We are people completely dependent on civilization across worlds. We're complete, we're people completely dependent on a social construct. So thank you for tuning in to Culturally Buzzed, a podcast where we talk about everything and anything culture in relation to your health. Racism is a great way to make an enemy out of a friend. So I invite you to talk to somebody you wouldn't usually talk to. Within the next year, within the next day, within the next week, within the next two hours. Just do it. Be safe about it, obviously. Don't get yourself into trouble. I know you're going to try, but just don't. Don't get yourself into trouble. <laughs> I, <laughs> the idea of reciprocity probably started off when we decided that human beings owed each other something. And so we think that means that we can judge each other for not being perfect enough. And I have to say in that note, or on that note, <laughs> racism helps you become an enemy too. One of these days, you'll be on the wrong side of the conversation. And you will have to, in every way, shape, or form, drop your walls. And actually listen to the pain that's going on. Alright, I'm off my soapbox. I hope you guys have a lovely... I'm sorry this was an entire hour. Uh, <laughs> hope you guys have a lovely day. Uh... And, yeah, you know what? I know you guys will have a great day. You guys will have a great day. You'll have a great week. You'll have a great two weeks. Because after that, that's when I'll be talking to you next. So, thank you for everything. Seriously. You try so hard. I get it. But there's still more work to do. So let's go. Let's do this. <laughs>